Would you open your Bible to John chapter 4? It's going to be in verses 46 through 54. Continuing our series through the Gospel of John and looking this morning at the subject of progressing in faith. Progressing in faith. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Listen to the word of the Lord. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, Come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, God, we come now as always to your word, opening it with expectation. Expectation that you always have something to say in it and that by your Holy Spirit, you will say something to us through it. You know every single person here, uh, all of the needs we have to hear your word, to be challenged or encouraged by it, to respond to it. And so God, I open my mouth with expectation also that the words that come out be words that you choose, that you filter, and that you apply to your people as we have need. And so would you speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and our good always. Lord, move me out of the way and use my voice as your instrument in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as... Many of you, perhaps most of you know, the Christian life is a life of faith. Scripture says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. All of the things that we do um, outwardly, even even, uh, acts of obedience, the things that he's commanded us to do, but but even those things, all the things that we do outwardly, uh, unless we do them in faith, in the one who's commanded it, Uh, receive by faith from the one who gives, unless we do it by faith, it's impossible to please God. The Christian life is a life of faith, but faith grows as it's exercised. Faith grows. It It is strengthened as it is exercised. There's a definite progression in our faith, which which comes as we know and experience more of who Jesus is. You know, there are uh, some circles of the Christian faith and some teachers who will uh, make it out to sound as if um, 
the Christian faith is mostly about you and your faith. It's a matter of, of, of sort of learning to work the, the, the heavenly system, as it were, by faith. Uh, but it really is about growing more in our intellectual understanding and our experience confirming that intellectual understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done that increases our faith and progresses us along in it. Well, one of the primary purposes Jesus had in performing miracles like the one we read about here in this passage was to lead people through that progression in their faith. And it's John's interest in writing his gospel. You may remember in John chapter 20, he says explicitly uh, why he's writing this. In verses 30 and 31, he said, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. These are written, they're written for us, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The reason uh, Jesus did many of those signs and the reason John wrote about those signs is so that we might believe in him, that we might progress in our own faith uh, to the point of believing in him and, and having life in his name. So in this second sign of Jesus, uh, this progression of faith is illustrated by the, this royal official who's the other central character. And what it uh, shows us, among other things, about this progression of faith is that we progress in our faith in Christ by, number one, uh, going to him with our personal needs, number two, taking him at his word, and number three, trusting him as Lord of all. And so first, there's this need as people of faith to go to him with our personal needs. As we read here, Jesus has come back to Cana of Galilee. This is where he made the water wine at the uh, wedding, that first sign. This was the way that he first revealed his glory, that his glory was manifest in the presence of people by turning water to wine. And word began to spread about that miracle, as well as others that he performed in Jerusalem when he went up to the Passover feast. And, uh, and word got around. So this official in this passage has obviously heard about Jesus. And that's why he comes to him. He's come from Capernaum. That is uh, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of a 20-mile uh, walk for him. To, to come find a Jesus who he's heard about because he has this dire personal need. He comes to Jesus with a personal need. And, and this is a very, very common starting place for people. Um, even necessarily so, but it's a very common starting place for people. And in fact, these first few chapters of John's gospel, you may have picked up on the fact um, that this is almost typical of the, the level of interest people have in Jesus initially. They come to him as a healer, as miracle worker, as a supplier of uh, other uh, needs that they, or, or supplier of the answers to their personal needs. That's the level of interest they have in him. Initially, you may even remember the Samaritan woman at the well. What, what first sort of got her attention as Jesus was talking is when he said um, he would give her water that she would never thirst again. And she's like, oh, I'm interested in that because this coming to this well all, every day is a lot of work. I would love if I just had some indoor plumbing. And she didn't say that um, exactly, but 
But her interest was, her interest was in um, what she thought was going to be his ability to meet some physical need. It's, it's been almost a typical course as we've uh, unfolded John's gospel. And, and, and it's, that's so much the case that when this official comes and asks Jesus to heal his son, Jesus says to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The ESV just says, unless you see signs. Some of your translations probably have that as you people. It is plural. The, the you there is plural. He's speaking not only to the uh, official about him, but he's speaking about this general pattern of people um, all around. And what's interesting is, in this particular case, all those people are not going to see this sign. He says, unless you see a sign, you will not believe. He's not going to show them a sign. The sign will uh, be awaiting the man when he gets back home. And surely those other people will hear about it because the word spreads as those miracles are performed. But this has been the pattern of, of, of all these people. They won't believe unless they see a sign. They want to be wowed by Jesus like he's just some traveling circus act or something. Uh, many of them want to see Jesus do miracles for them personally. And that appears to be the level of belief that this official has. He has an extraordinary need and Jesus has an extraordinary ability to meet that need. But he intends, it would seem right, for this to be more or less a transactional relationship with Jesus. He's got a need. He's asking Jesus to meet it. When he's done with that, he's going to go back on his way. And presumably that'll be the end of it unless something of, of dire uh, Nature comes up again and he comes back to Jesus. But that's, that's what he sort of approaches Jesus um, for is just this kind of transactional level of a relationship. The man, by the way, is a royal official. Um, it says that again in some other translations. The word basilikos is the word translated. He's probably uh, the servant of King Herod. But it, that would mean he's... Compared to most of the people in Galilee, he's, he's a man of some influence and he's a man of some financial means. He's better off than most people in, in all respects because of who he has access to and, and, uh, and the, the personal wealth that he would have, at least relatively. But his money and influence can't buy his way out of this problem. They can't, they can't buy life for his son. So he goes to Jesus for a personal need or with a personal need. Well, a part of making our faith real um, is going to Jesus with our personal needs. This is par part of making faith real, uh, to really having a walk of faith is not, is not just, um, as I've said before, responding to an altar call and say, I wanna follow Jesus. That may be life-changing for some people, and, it, and if it's not an altar call, it can be in a private moment uh, in somebody's own living room or bedroom or where the case may be. But, um, but beyond that, uh, placing faith in Christ in that respect, there, there, there is a need to actually trust Jesus on a personal level, to go with him with personal needs and, and, and see him prove himself to be who he says he is. Now, not for the purpose, we go to him uh, in those ways, not for him to sort of make us tingle or give us goosebumps in some way, um, and, and not like he is a magic genie. 
that when we have need or as often as we have need, we go to him and ask for those needs to be met. And then we go on about our merry way until we have another need and we come back to him. We're in some ways not unlike this official, um, except for rather than just coming to Jesus for a single transaction, we come and we sort of put Jesus on retainer. You know how that is to have an attorney, some people or business as attorney on retainer and as whenever they have legal need, uh, that's who they're gonna go to for their legal advice and they've already uh, sort of secured it or whatever. And people have a relationship to Jesus much in that way. He's, he's just, they got Jesus on retainer as the supplier of their personal needs. Whenever they need it, they go to him uh, and otherwise they're sort of living life on their own. Um, that, is, that is not what we are invited, commanded or encouraged to do. But it is vital that we trust him with our personal needs because the alternative is we trust ourselves. I said even um, earlier as I was praying, we have a sense of uh, a false sense of self-confidence, self-assurance, self-sufficiency. That is one of our greatest problems and our greatest obstacles to faith. And so we have to trust him with something that matters to us and watch him prove his faithfulness. Um, there are lots of ways in, in which uh, that is demonstrated. And many of you had, have your own stories. We were sharing with, uh, with someone recently just one testimony of this sort of experience in our personal lives. When Monica and I were expecting our first child, um, the medical bills started stacking up fast. And like nothing had really even happened yet. And then they started telling us about what the medicals were, medical bills were going to be uh, in, the, in the hospital for the labor and delivery and the pediatric care and all that kind of stuff. And they're already interested in how are you gonna pay for that? And I was thinking to myself, I'm not even sure I'm gonna pay for that. Uh, I don't have any idea what the answer to that question is, but it was, it was overwhelming early on in the process. And we actually took out our checkbook and, uh, and, and laid hands on our checkbook as a, just sort of a, a symbol of our financial situation and prayed for God's provision because uh, it seemed, that seemed enormous at that time. As we were fairly early in our faith and learning really to, just to trust God. And uh, we prayed for his provision. About two weeks later, I got laid off. <laughs> which, which was quite disconcerting, you might imagine. And I uh, wasn't sure if I said that prayer in quite the right way. But uh, Lord, what, you misunderstood. But, but that layoff actually... Uh, led me to a job with the best health insurance I've ever had before or since. It was so good, I didn't believe it when, I, when they told me what the coverage was. And I called asking questions. What's, uh, tell me, wh where's the fine print and what are you not telling me? Um, but it was, it was incredible, uh, so good, in fact, that um, all the other medical expenses for that pregnancy for the labor and delivery, the prenatal visits, all the ultrasounds, the hospitalization, C-section, the pediatric care in the hospital, and uh, even a few hours of observation in the neonatal intensive care unit. All of that costs us a grand total of $10. Now, yeah, praise the Lord. I, I, I've thought since then, you know, of the health insurance crisis we have in the country today may be our fault. Because I'm like, I don't know how, I don't know who paid for that. But we, like, we got a good deal on that. It's so good. In fact, we had two more babies before. We're like, we need to go ahead and have them all before I leave Wachovia because this is too good to pass up. 
I don't, I don't think they... Uh, I don't think they have that kind of coverage anymore, but the, but the point is simply that that's an illustration. It's one example of several we could share and others could share as well. But, but at a point where you're learning to walk in faith, um, it is important to, to trust God with something real. That it's not just abstract, that you're not just believing sometime uh, far from now, presumably, that I'm gonna live forever with, with God in heaven. But it is for the one who believes that, I trust him with, with everything right now. And I start by trusting him with something right now. Going to him with personal uh, need. And so many of us need to start at that level of faith, but we, we ought not to stay at that level of faith. Because the next uh, step in the progression of our faith would be taking him at his word in, in many other ways. Taking him at his word. The official... Um, here made two attempts to get Jesus to come to his house. You know, first it says he asked him to come and heal him. Jesus said, unless you all see a sign, you won't believe. And he says more emphatically with a sense of urgency, sir, come down before my child dies. He, he, he's, got a, he's got a real need and he seems to have a very clear idea of how uh, that need is going to be met by Jesus. Jesus needs to come down to Capernaum to his house, to the presence of his son, so he, his son can be healed. He, he comes to him with that need, but with also a preconception about how that need's going to be met. And Jesus said, go, your son will live. And that, verse 50, at that, verse 50 says, uh, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went his way. He believed the word Jesus spoke to him and went his way. That's, that's actually pretty remarkable, although, I mean, if Jesus just isn't gonna go, it's, I don't know that there's a whole lot uh, more that he could have done to cajole him, but he just believed the word and he went on his way. Uh, and it's the only appropriate response, really, because the word that Jesus spoke was clear, it was sufficient and it was authoritative. You could mark those words somewhere down in your Bible because it's true about your Bible. The word that Jesus spoke to that official is true of all the words that Jesus spoke to you and me by the Holy Spirit. That all scripture is inspired by God. Every jot and tittle of it uh, the things that John and others wrote are written down for our hearing, and it's spoken clearly. It is sufficient, and it is authoritative. Jesus does not speak as guide or guru. He speaks as a king. He speaks as a king. He speaks with authority. And what he says is enough. It is sufficient. The, the official might have said, okay, I'll go on my way, but um, I'm gonna see, just while I'm here, I'm gonna see if there are any other healers in town that I can take with me, just in case. And that's a little uh, tongue-in-cheek and a little humorous, but many of us live in relationship to God and his word that very way. Okay, I'm gonna believe it, but I'm gonna come up, I'm gonna have a plan B just in case, as if his word isn't sufficient. 
It is sufficient. He speaks clearly. He speaks sufficiently. He speaks authoritatively. We have problems like this official sometimes that we take to the Lord with very settled expectations about how he should meet those needs, what he should do, how he should do it, and so on. In other cases, we don't even uh, want to take them to the Lord because we want to handle them ourselves and we're afraid what he might do with them. Right? I mean, that's the honest truth. We don't, there are some things we don't take to the Lord because we're afraid of what he might do and what he might require of us. And we're thinking, I can handle this one within some reasonable degree of confidence and I'll save, I'll save something more uh, significant for him later. But taking him at his word means obeying what the word says we should do and trusting him uh, to do what his word says he will do. Okay, taking him at his word means obeying what his word says we should do, trusting him to do what he says, what his word says he will do. It's not unlike the very first step in this progression of just trusting him with some personal need, but this, this even progresses that as we are reading the Bible, as he is disclosing to us more about himself and more about the way he's called us to walk as, as more is illuminated to us about the revealed truth in the scripture, then we just obey it more and more. And we trust more and more that he will be true to his word. So for example, you may be reading in your uh, quiet time, you're just you're reading in some systematic study through a devotion, through books of the Bible or whatever, and you come across uh, in Romans, do not avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. And so you've got somebody in your life who has wronged you, and they really are wrong. And you've decided not only that you should be, but you deeply desire to be the one who renders justice to him or her. You're going to be the one who dispenses justice to the person who's done you wrong because they deserve it and it is just feel good if you do it. But, but then you read, God says, do not avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do in response to that? Well, what, what we're exhorted to do is to take him at his word. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He can be trusted. He can be trusted to render justice. We're commanded to forgive. That's hard, isn't it? It's hard when it's your issue it's not hard when it's somebody else's. It's hard when it's your issue, when you've been the one deeply wounded by somebody. Another example, give and it shall be given to you. You read in Luke chapter six, I believe it is. Give and it shall be given to you. Full measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Shall men pour, pour into your bosom. And so whatever it happens to be at the moment that you uh, regard as valuable, and that is scarce in your own experience, give some of it to the Lord. 
the example actually I had in mind was not unlike what Julie shared um, earlier, just about, uh, about some of your time perhaps being um, so valuable. Like you, you are so busy, you've got so much to do that as soon as you wake up in the morning till as late as you can stay up in, in the evening, you, you, you've got to go and go and go and do and do and do and you feel like you don't have time uh, to spend with the Lord just in his presence. You feel like you don't have uh, time to worship or to, to um, fellowship with the people of God and so forth. You, the time is scarce to you. So give him some of your time. Like give him and even pray, God, I, I am so frantic right now. I feel like I don't have any time to give. So I offer this to you. I'm trusting you, Lord, that you can do more in 23 hours of my day than I can do in 24. I trust you, Lord, that you can continue working while I am sleeping, even as that feels like not enough sleep every night. I trust you with this time. I give it to you. Take him at his word. There are lots of other examples we could think about in the scripture, but that's the idea, that, that as you uh, learn more and more about what's true of him in the scripture, as that's illuminated in your own understanding, take him at his word, obey it, trust him to do what he said he will do. That's part of the progression of faith. And then number three, having uh, gone to him with some of our personal needs, having taking him at his word. Third is just trusting him as Lord of all. I, I really, there may be a better way of saying that. I couldn't think of a better way um, of phrasing it. But here, after the man, this official learned that his son began to get better at the same time Jesus had said he would live, it says in verse 53 that he himself believed in all his household. He himself believed and all his household. He went to Jesus in the first place because he believed Jesus was able to heal. He had heard about him enough to know he believed Jesus was able to heal. When Jesus told him to go his way, his son will live, he believed Jesus was willing. He just took him at his word. He's able, he's willing. But after his son was healed, he believed him completely, as fully as uh, one can believe, as Savior and as Lord of all. He, he himself believed and all his household. Lord of all. I think it's, it's probably clear to the average reader, even if you don't know much about the scripture, you don't have to know anything about Greek vocabulary or New Testament scholarship to know when he says down in that verse, in verse 53, that he himself believed, he's talking about a different kind of believing than this man had before, right? It just, you don't even have to uh, have, know a whole lot that you bring to the scripture to know obviously something, that's something different, deeper, greater than it was before. He had believed his word, he, go, he went to him believing he could heal in the first place, but here he, he believed him and all his household there was something greater to his faith there. That now he believed him as Lord of all, um, that, the, that the one who's just shown himself to be Lord of life, literally in the life of his son, 
who just spoke, who just willed it to be, and the, and the boy didn't die, but he lived. That Lord of life, this man now believes to be the Lord of eternal life. And that's exactly where Jesus wanted to lead him to, and it's exactly where Jesus wants to lead you and me. To believe in him as Lord of all, to believe in him as Lord of life, even life eternal. And not just to believe in him as one who can uh, supply our needs and make life on this earth better or more comfortable in some way. You know, the passage ends here, as I alluded to earlier, with the statement that this healing was the second sign that Jesus performed. Do you remember John uses this term uh, in ways that the other uh, gospel writers really don't? In the other three gospels, uh, miracles often reveal something about the kingdom, about, about how, how the kingdom of God operates and, and then little glimpses of it are shown in the miracles that Jesus performs. That the kingdom is revealed somehow in, the, uh, in his miracles. In John's gospels, the signs generally point to something about Jesus himself and what it is Jesus came to do in a fuller and greater way. The sign points to something beyond itself. Here in this short uh, account that we've just read, the healing is not the thing. The healing is a sign of the thing. That's the way it is with signs. Signs point to something greater than that. And the work that Jesus came to do as Lord of life is greater than just healing people and even sparing children from death. But he showed himself uh, to be that and it points to his ability to give the eternal life that he's called people to receive. And this, as I said, is really where the progression of faith is supposed to, to lead us. We begin by believing him for earthly things, and that's very ordinary. And we can see the answer when it manifests itself. God is so gracious, I bet if we had testimony time, we could have a lot of people share stories like the one I shared um, that Monica and I experienced, and there were others like that, where God was gracious not only to answer our prayer, but to answer it pretty quickly. At that time, we didn't have a whole lot of faith to hold on. You understand what I'm saying? And, and one, of the, uh, one of the traps we can fall into is assuming that's the way God always works, so that such that when the answer is delayed, and delayed and delayed, and you're not even sure the answer is what you keep asking him for. That even then, our faith is still grounded in who he is and his character and what he's done. So we begin by believing him for earthly things and, and we can see the answer when it manifests, but then that leads us to believe in him more and more for heavenly things, which we we cannot see and won't see um, until we pass out of this life and into the next. That's when the manifestation of the greatest promises that he's offered us, uh, that's when the manifestation of that will come. And the longer we walk with the Lord, the more likely he will lead us to those longer periods of trusting and waiting because we're learning more and more to treasure him 
as our ultimate prize. To treasure him as our ultimate prize. So that we're not disheartened and discouraged and disillusioned when the things we ask them for don't come to pass. Because more and more as we walk with him, we find him to be our treasure. Uh, I would say just here in, in closing that I've spoken of that as if it's just a progression of faith that follows um, directly sort of a, in a linear fashion. But the other, the, the, the footnote to that is that for many Christians, all too often, uh, there can also be a regression of faith. That we've trusted that we've trusted Christ uh, more in times past than we may be trusting him in the present. You, some of you may be able to think back on times where you know you walked more by faith 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago than you're walking right now. You, you, you did so long enough to have the stories you could tell. You know that those are true about him. You, you know the one who made those things true. And yet in some other respects, you sort of entered semi-retirement from your walk of faith. That those, those, uh, those muscles, uh, as it were, aren't being exercised the way they once were. And he calls us still to walk in faith, to progress in faith, to trust him more and more as we treasure him more and more. And that may be uh, the footnote that uh, pokes us and provokes some of us in how we need to respond to the word today. Well, let's pray. Well, God, you are good. Your mercies endure forever and they're new every morning. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that we do have our own testimonies, many of us, of how we've trusted you with some specific personal thing when it was a heavy load for us to carry at the time and you showed yourself faithful to us. We have our stories, many of us, of how we've come to understand more of you and the life that you called us to as we have read the scriptures. We have learned that as we take you at your word, you are faithful to your word because you cannot lie and you cannot change and you cannot fail. And we thank you, Lord, that that all leads us to a place of trusting you entirely as Lord of everything. And as the saying goes, we acknowledge that if you're not Lord of all, you're not Lord at all, that we continually seat ourselves on the throne of our own lives. So Lord, we thank you for all the ways in which this word is encouraging to us. And we thank you for all the ways in which it's challenging to us. Lord, I pray that you administer this truth by your spirit to one heart at a time to lead us to respond as we must. 
resolving today to trust you with some specific need that has been a burden, maybe for that person who really hasn't begun very much of a walk of faith or trusting you with, with real life specific things. Lord, would you lead those people to trust you now? Lord, would you lead others to progress to a, a, a higher level of, of uh, seeking out the truth in your word, believing it, and taking you at your word, Lord. Obeying what you uh, revealed to be required and proving yourself to be faithful. And Lord, would you take us even beyond that, that the greatest faith would not be measured by miracles and healings uh, and, and great manifestations even of your spirit on the earth, but that the greatest measure of that might be that we trust you entirely as Lord of all because we know that you are the treasure that we seek and the one that we ultimately will receive. So Lord, I pray that you would move people um, out of our own complacency, uh, move us out of retirement from our walk of faith. Move us, Lord, where we have regressed in our trust of you to progress once again. God, would you have your way at this time by your spirit in Jesus' name.